Democracy Dispatch podcast. I'm Justin Marsh, Political Outreach Director at Vermont Conservation Voters. This is your weekly scoop on legislative action as we work to push forward environmental policies for Vermont. Each Monday, we'll take a look back at the week prior, preview the week ahead, speak with legislators and advocates on topics affecting our air, water, open space, and quality of life. On today's episode, I will be joined by Lauren Hurl, Executive Director of Vermont Conservation Voters for the Session Shakedown segment. Lauren then catches up with Senator Ann Watson, Vice Chair of the Senate Committee on Natural Resources and Energy, for our deep dive conversation fresh out of the Senate hearing on the Affordable Heat Act. Later, I'll speak with Susan Clark, a town moderator and contributor to Freedom and Unity, a graphic guide to civics and democracy in Vermont, and co-author of Slow Democracy. But first, if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on social media too. On Twitter, we are at VoteGreenVT, Instagram at VT Conservation Voters, and find us on Facebook as well. You can subscribe to our emails, see our legislative scorecard, and learn more about our work and policies by visiting VermontConservationVoters.org. Have a story idea or feedback? Email me at jmarsh at vermontconservationvoters.org. Now I'm joined by Lauren Hurl, Executive Director of Vermont Conservation Voters for our Session Shakedown segment, where we recap the week prior and look to the coming week of the session. Things are slowly ramping up in the State House. Week two saw committees meeting more regularly, meeting with departments and organizations pertinent to their respective committees and jurisdictions. What did we see for action, Lauren? Well, the most notable thing was on Friday morning, the Senate Committee on Natural Resources and Energy began to walk through S5, which is the Affordable Heat Act, which is one of our core priorities here at VCV. Uh, looking to transition people to clean and affordable heating solutions. Uh, So it was really exciting to see that that was taken up so early in the session and that they were starting to walk through the bill, get familiar with it, and really queue it up for action. Nice. And last week, you and Joanna Miller at Vermont Natural Resources Council caught up with Laura Sibilia, representative in Dover, um, for the Climate Dispatch. How'd that go? Where can people see that? That was great. People can check that out on the vermontconservationvoters.org website. And yeah, we had a great conversation. So Representative Sibelia is the vice chair of the new Environment and Energy Committee. And she had been vice chair on the Energy and Technology Committee that had previously worked on clean energy issues. So she talked with us about uh, the Affordable Heat Act and the Renewable Energy Standard Modernization that we also anticipate the legislature working on this year. And then on Thursday, we unveiled the 2023 Common Agenda to all the legislators. Can you tell listeners about the Common Agenda? Yeah, so the Common Agenda is a project that Vermont Conservation has done for many years, predates me, where we work to bring together the environmental community and the leading groups that do advocacy work and try to identify what are the most pressing issues that are really ripe for action and that we expect to see action on and will be uh, pushing for at the State House this year. So we were able to identify some of the key priorities and this year really focused on implementing the Climate Action Plan. And that is both cutting climate pollution and building climate resilience. So hope people will check that out, which is also available on our website. 
Yeah, I mean, people are just going to live on our website. There's so much to see. Such great stuff there. (laughs) And as things continue to ramp up this week, um, are there any environmental bills that you know of that are going to be taken up that we can expect? One that we think might be taken up this week is the 30 by 30 bill. So this is legislation that was actually passed last year by the legislature, but vetoed by Governor Scott. Uh, And it would establish a goal for the state of conserving 30% of lands by 2030 and 50% by 2050. And this is really uh, something that the federal government has set a target. Uh, It was an international agreement recently adopted and is, you know, Vermont doing its part to really conserve biodiversity. So we hope to see action on that soon. Awesome. And as you mentioned on Friday, the Senate Committee on natural resources and energy, they went really deep on the AHA, Affordable (laughs) Heat Act, as we we jokingly call it, AHA. But I think not even jokingly at this point. It's a great acronym. It's a great acronym. Um, And you were able to snag Senator Ann Watson at the State House fresh from those hearings on, on the act. Let's hear that conversation now. And I am delighted to be here with Senator Ann Watson, the newly appointed vice chair of the Senate Natural Resources and Energy Committee. And I have had the great pleasure of working with Ann uh, together on the city council where she has been mayor of Montpelier until recently. And it is fabulous to have her in this new role in the Senate. And just wanted to give you a chance, Senator Watson, to be able to uh, tell us about you know being second week wrapping up in the legislature. Um, what are some of the big issues that are rising up for you and that you're excited to be working on? And how are you seeing your previous roles as mayor and as a teacher uh, in our schools showing up for you as a new senator? Yeah, well, thank you. Well, first of all, I'm just so excited to uh, be talking with you about this today. Uh, so I um, am really also very excited to be uh, in this role as um, on the Natural Resources and Energy Committee. Uh, so, just looking forward, um, as you asked, so uh, we are we, we've actually already taken up the Affordable Heat Act, which um, for those who, folks who are familiar with like the renewable energy standard, it's sort of similar to a renewable energy standard, but for heat. So, it's um, the aim is to help uh, get folks on a path towards more affordable. Uh, heating systems that are also more renewable uh, in terms of their fuel sources. So uh, really exciting to uh, be looking into this uh, issue for Vermonters because I don't know if you uh, have been hearing this, but I've certainly been hearing um, from folks that uh, you know heating bills are going up. And so we, you know, this is um, one way that we can address that. So I'm really excited to be working on that. So we actually just wor- uh, walked through that this morning um, for the first time yep. with our legislative council. So, Excellent. yeah. So, and we'll be focusing on this. And this um, is going to be the first bill that you all are really digging into. It yes, like. exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And this is, um, was a core uh, recommendation of the state's climate action plan to institute a program like this. So critically important. Yeah. So yeah. really glad to hear it's being taken up. So early. Yeah. So there's already been like lots of discussion um, with some um, really focused, wonderful um, experts um, in this field. So um, yeah, it's really, it's already really well advised. And uh, anyway, I think that's, that's showing in even this, this draft that we're taking up now. 
Excellent. Super encouraging. Um, are there other priorities that you're really excited to work on this year? Yeah, well, so especially in terms of things that uh, will likely come up for Natural Resources and Energy in the Senate. Um, I mentioned the Renewable Energy Standard um, just a second ago. I, I think uh, we, we are likely to uh, take up a, a new version of that. So um, just tweaking uh, how that uh, program works. So that's another thing. Uh, but with, I, I would like to see that uh, encourage more uh, renewable energy generation within the state of Vermont. So that's uh, sort of the aim there. Uh, but also, I mean, things that I am hopeful and excited for this group to work on includes uh, modernizing the bottle bill. I mean, I think mm -hmm. th this has been on the radar for a long time. Yeah. Um, it seems obvious to me that we should be doing this. And so I'm hopeful that um, nice. that we can take that up as well. I think that was the first bill I ever testified oh. <laughs> on like more than a decade ago. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah right. It's been a while. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Right, like other places have, have modernized uh, versions. Like it's doable. Um, it would be beneficial. Like yeah. <laughs> um, so that's another one. Um, you know, a, an emerging contaminant that is certainly on it was on my radar as mayor of Montpelier and is, you know, it, I think it's becoming increasingly on people's radar is PFAS. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a couple uh, things that need to be done with that. But the one being, um, I guess I would call it like turning off the faucet, right? Like we need to yeah. be generating less PFAS in general. Um, and then the second part is like, what do we do with that once it exists in our world, which it does. Uh, but, you know, putting that on, on the side for now, if we could at least just turn off the faucet, right? Like how yeah. do we continue to not be proliferating this substance? Uh, so uh, there are other places that uh, it's still legal. Sorry, let me say that clearly. Where it's still legal for PFAS to show up in our products. Um, <clears throat> so continuing to look at how we can be uh, prohibiting that uh, as a chemical in, in our world, um, I think would be important. Uh, you know, there are other things too uh, that, that I would love to see us take up, you know, things like banning leg hold traps um, uh, and, uh, and also, you know, there's this, this thing called the purple paint law uh, about posting uh, property for hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's a, a variety of, of things that, um, I hope will be that we'll be able to take uh, testimony on, be able to take up. <clears throat> but you know, the focus is really going to be on getting this Affordable Heat Act over the finish line, and then probably after that, it's the Renewable Energy Standard. So, excellent. Um, yeah. So we'll see what else no we're able to take. No shortage up. of important oh issues. No shortage. And that is fabulous. <laughs> um, and just to wrap up, any reflections? You're finishing your second week, you know, any uh, anything that you're thinking about with kind of bringing in the other roles that you've played through the years and how it's oh, showing gosh. up here? Well, so just uh, serving on GovOps, it is uh, wonderful have, to have the background as mayor. Yeah. Um, that's really helpful. Um, and then uh, just as a teacher, it's so uh, well, and particularly, I, so I teach physics yep. um, at uh, high school. So. I've found it really helpful to have a background in physics, especially when talking about yeah. um, the heat act. And even just this morning, somebody was like, hey, how many, like, how do I think about joules? Like, how many calories in a joule and all that? Yep. Anyway, and so um, uh, 
hopefully going to be able to anchor folks in that uh, we sometimes talk about British thermal units or BTUs yep. for energy. So if we think about um, a match being one BTU, um, that's actually equal to a thousand, roughly a thousand joules, which means like a joule, you would have to chop that match up into a thousand pieces. And that is the amount of energy uh, that we're talking about for a joule. It's like a thousandth of a match. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the combination of both understanding the science deeply and being able to explain things yeah. clearly is a great combination. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. So excited again to have you in this role and look forward to working together. And I'm sure we will have you back on the Democracy Dispatch. Um, and so have a great weekend and we'll see you again soon. Okay. We'll see you Thanks. soon. Susan Clark is a facilitator, educator, town moderator of Middlesex, and co-author of Slow Democracy. In Slow Democracy, readers learn the stories of residents who gain community control of water systems and local forests, parents who find creative solutions to divisive school redistricting issues, and a host of other citizen-led actions that are reinvigorating local democracy and decision-making. In addition to Slow Democracy, she is co-author of All Those in Favor, Rediscovering the Secrets of Town Meeting and Community, which examines Vermont's town meeting tradition. She recently joined the editorial and creative team behind the Center for Cartoon Studies project entitled Freedom and Unity, a graphic guide about the past, present, and promise of democracy and civics in Vermont. Welcome to Democracy Dispatch, Susan. I'm happy to be here. First off, I'm currently in the new Vermont Natural Resources Council offices here in Montpelier. It's my understanding that you are no stranger to VNRC. Heck no. No, I was the communications director for many years at VNRC and then later on was on the board. Uh, so, And I haven't yet visited the new offices. Every time I go by, it's, so it's always the wrong time. So I, I do want to stop in. Well, certainly anytime our doors are open, for sure, stop in. Thanks. Um, well, welcome back, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you were part of the vast editorial and creative team behind Freedom and Unity. Um, there's so many names involved, but um, how did you come to be involved in that? And what, what was it like being part of that effort? Oh, it was the highlight of my year. It was so much fun to be working with this team. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a, a, a wonderfully uh, diverse team, as, as you mentioned. And um, uh, one of the things that I, I, I think that they called me in because uh, an early focus um, of the publication was um, some of Vermont's unique democratic qualities. And one of those is town meeting. Um, and I co-authored a book you mentioned with um, UVM professor Frank Bryan, who's the basically the global <laughs> recognized expert on, on town meetings, studied uh, Vermont town meetings for 30 years with really, really in-depth research. So um, I think that um, the research team wanted to make sure there was, was a good grounding in um, Vermont's um, uh, sort of uh, infrastructure, democratic infrastructure. Um, and, uh, and then I think maybe the slow democracy work that I've done outside of Vermont, looking at, you know, um, the, the, the different ways that we can engage people, not just through town meeting, but, um, many other face-to-face, -face, uh, deliberative, inclusive processes, um, uh, turned out to be useful in the research as well. Yeah, so you mentioned that Vermont's unique in the fact that we have town meeting, but you know, do you find that Vermont is is unique compared to the forty nine other states in the union when it comes to to all things democracy, or um, are we, or is it more cookie cutter than than we 
like to think. <laughs> right, right. And, and just to be clear, Vermont is um, one of, uh, I mean, all of New England, uh, all the New England states use town meeting. Um, and uh, uh, in, in different uh, sort of permutations. So um, uh, there are states, Massachusetts, uh, 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 New Hampshire, but actually I think all of the other states use um, the representative town meeting more than Vermont does. We only have the one uh, town of Brattleboro that uses a representative town meeting. But um, the, uh, the other, outside of New England um, and Switzerland, um, uh, it, town meeting is not as, as prevalent. Uh, it doesn't exist. So um, uh, yeah, there are definitely other ways that Vermont is is special, and I think that it's really valuable, um, especially for environmentalists, to think about what our environment, uh, how our environment has shaped us um, in our um, expression of, of of democracy and then in our expressions of community. Um, Vermont is uh, well. First of all, of course, there's the climate. Uh, um, it's, it's cold out there. Uh, and, um, it is, we, we do need each other. And I think we recognize that we need each other because, um, of some of the, you know, historically, and even today, we need to push each other out of ditches. We need to, you know, help each other through the ice storm. That means that you need to check in on your neighbors. So there's a, there's a, um, uh, a sense of community, a sense of social capital, I think that's built by that. There's also historically, I mean, you think about Vermont, our settlement patterns, patterns um, were absolutely shaped by um, uh, the, the hills and dales, um, you know, the, the geology of Vermont, which meant that we, um, uh, you know, the, the ways that we settled, um, and I'm talking about, of course, you know, white people who came in and colonized, um, uh, the, those settlement patterns, um, there's a reason that town meeting works here that, and, and in a place that it might not work like in a big flat place like, you know, Indiana. Um, but I'll just, I'll just mention here too, that, um, freedom and unity, the, the booklet, I think just does a really wonderful job of, um, um, expanding the story of Vermont beyond, um, certainly, you know, what I grew up with, which starts with the colonists. Um, it goes back to the, um, the, the ice age and, and, and how, uh, uh, the landforms are, 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 uh, were formed and then also, um, has a, um, significant, um, story of, um, indigenous, uh, settlement and, uh, that, that kind of, um, that, that story and how important it is to, to today. Yeah, was, I'm glad that you brought up the, the representative town meeting system that Brattleboro has, because I actually learned about that through your this publication, um, which I found fascinating. I, I had no idea. Um, was there any other research that you did either for this project or the other projects that I mentioned in your biography that sort of piqued your curiosity or interest in the way that the Brattleboro tidbit did for me? Yeah, yeah, lots of different qualities. I mean, I, I do think that... Um, for, um, the New England town meeting system actually has informed whether directly or indirectly a lot of um, the deliberative democracy processes that are used across the country. And one that comes to mind is participatory budgeting. Um, and we, there's a little blip on participatory budgeting in uh, freedom and unity as well. It, this is a system that was has been used for, I think, over uh, well over 30 years. I think it began in Brazil um, and uh, is used across the globe. Um, it's you know, recognized by the UN as a good governance practice, it's really not unlike town meeting in that um, it's a, a, a 
whoever comes um, gets to be part of the conversation. You know, you're not elected to, to, to participate. And um, in fact, with participatory budgeting, uh, the way it's used in New York, Chicago, you don't even have to be um, a formal citizen. Um, you show up, you express your, your, your concerns and interests, um, and you create um, uh, proposals, which then go through a democratic process um, to, to find uh funding. Um, and um, it's exciting that participatory budgeting is being used a lot with students now um, for um, you know, discretionary parts of, of various budgets. Um, there's a really cool youth council system that's described in Freedom and Unity um, that the, uh, I think it's Vermont After School is the name of the organization that's running that. So it's a terrific way to include um, folks who might uh, not see themselves uh, necessarily in democracy, you know, previously marginalized groups. Participatory budgeting is known to uh, be more inclusive to people of color, but also young people um, and, and folks who, who just might not see themselves as part of the system. The The Center for Cartoon Studies teaches people sort of how to how to make comics to help better understand ourselves and our community and the world. And so I'm curious, in your opinion, is this like the t first type of project that you've been a part of that's similar to this? And and how important is the form, this form and, and in storytelling and through art, how, how important is that for educating our communities? Oh my gosh, it's so important to have multiple media, multiple ways to, 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 to learn about things. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a words person. You know, I mentioned I was communications director when I was at the NRC and, and the other title I had was editor. We, we made a magazine. Um, uh, and that's certainly the way some people learn. Um, other people learn through, through, through visuals. Other people learn through, um, plays and theater. Obviously you're doing a podcast, which is fabulous. Many of us are auditory listeners, um, you know, learners. So, um, as many, uh, media as possible. And boy, I'll tell you what I really appreciated about working on this project was I, I, w I wish for everyone in the world to have the experience of sitting and talking with a cartoonist. And then a few weeks later, finding out what you said through their cartoonist skills and eyes uh, and, and craft. Um, because uh, I would read, I would read these, these, these concepts that um, the folks from Center for Cartoon Studies put together. And it was like, oh my gosh, they just made it come alive in a, in a completely different way, in a completely new way. Um, and uh, I found it to be really energizing um, and the content to be um, accessible in a way. People have come up to me and said, oh, you know, if only I'd had this cartoon book 10 years ago, I would have felt so much more invited, so much more welcomed. And I was like, oh my gosh, here in my work, I've been trying to welcome people for so long. Um, and obviously some, some people hear it and some people don't. So here's a new way for folks to hear it. Yeah, that's what really drew me to the to Freedom and Unity is the fact that it was it's so digestible in a way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, very informational, but the the visual component really adds and and for me, it was really great to see how the the lead illustrator Dan Knott was able to really um, to, to storytell uh, something that maybe the average Vermonter would find is a little dry or not super engaging. But um, yeah, having that visual component was was really amazing. I really enjoyed it. Dan is just super skilled, really, really a, a amazing guy, and the whole team: James Stern, uh, Kit Anderson. There were there were some just wonderful um, folks working on it. 
Um, and Freedom and Unity, I thought, did a really great job at highlighting the colonization, which you mentioned before. And, and that's something that, you know, as a as a product of Vermont's public schools, uh, I felt that, you know, it was kind of left out of my curricula. And so, um, of course, this was decades ago at this point, but um, I'm curious, you know, as an educator yourself, what uh, do you feel can be done about the teachings and how we can go further to expand how we talk about democracy within this framing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think we can really take the lead from, and this is one of the things that um, Christopher Kaufman from the Humanities Council um, was really insistent on, was making sure, um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, they say it's not a, not a, never about us without us, or, you know, those kinds of, it, he, he said, okay, we're creating some drafts, let's be sure um, to bring these, you know, to the Abnaki Arts and Education Center, um, make sure that um, the story, the way that we're framing this is, is um, uh, you know, do some, do some, some truth checking, some ground checking, um, and um, as well as, well as with, um, uh, you know, other folks um, like the archaeologists in, in our state, you know, I mean, how far do we want to go back? How how well do we want to really understand our presence um, uh, here as humans uh, in this place? Um, so um, I, I think continually re-asking the questions, never assuming that we necessarily uh uh, you know, have all, all the, all the information, um, is it, it staying curious, um, is a, is a wonderful, uh, sort of mantra as, as we move forward. And it's especially important because I think around democracy, um, too often we think that democracy is just voting and we think that, you know, Progressives need to make sure everybody has a chance to vote and we, we want to make sure that there's no voter suppression and all. We're hearing that so much and I absolutely agree. And I also think we need to remember that democracy is so much more than voting. And if we, if we, it's the only way we engage with democracy is through voting, then democracy is in deep trouble. And, uh, we really need all of us to, um, and, and I don't, as, as, as supportive as I am of advocacy efforts, I don't only mean advocacy either. I mean knowing our neighbors. I mean, um, you know, showing up to community uh, events. I mean knowing the, the history of our place, um, being curious about the natural history of our place. You know, democracy is not a they. You know, it's not like oh, those people at the state house or those those select board members. It's a we. It's all of us, and that's what I hope is so so welcoming about this this uh, freedom and unity comic. It's like, hey, see yourself in these pages. You know, you're one of those little people. I love one of the, the visuals where they talk. They show town meeting and they show all these people showing up, and there's there's these little arrows that point to each of the people walking into the town hall that says legislator, legislator legislator, because we are at the town level legislators when we're in a town meeting. Select words, the executive branch, and those of us who show up to town meeting are, in fact, on issues of finance and governments, the legislative branch. And that's why the deliberation is so important. That's why just casting a ballot isn't enough. I love that. And I'm definitely going to want to have uh, another conversation with you sometime about town meetings specifically, um, since you are such a wealth of knowledge there. Um, but in wrapping up, if you could ha- wave your magic wand and change something about democracy in Vermont in an instance, um, as you know, as, as you've titled your uh, book, it's Slow Democracy. Um, but if you could make a fast change uh, yes. right now in an instant, what would you do? Oh, wow. Oh, that would be so <laughs> great. Could I please have that magic wand? <laughs> 
Um, you know, I do think that we um, have an uh, we we have a uh, an inclination to move toward efficiency um, as a species. You know, as human beings, um, we want clarity. We want um, right and wrong. You know, we we want you know very much. We want to put things in categories. The deliberation that happens builds our democratic muscle. It allows us to see each other as whole people, not just as stereotypes, not as the, you know, the person who is against that. And so therefore they're my enemy. Um, I think that our legislature, um, is tending more toward looking, um, at cookie cutter solutions that sort of see every community as the same. And we should have a uniform system for this or that and put everybody into these, you know, easy to manage from the top down boxes. I would love to see um, more uh, respect for emergent, democratic, deliberative design where we allow people to come up with, with their own solutions. I think at the, at the top, we can set parameters and say, here are the goals that we want to make sure everybody meets and then allow communities to meet them uh, in their own way and allow people to come up with their own solutions. Well, Susan, thank you so much for your time today and, of course, your contributions for furthering democracy education in our state. Uh, for more information about Slow Democracy and Susan Clark, you can visit slowdemocracy.org. And to view freedom and unity and to learn more about that project, visit cartoonstudies.org slash freedom and unity. Now it's time for our climate stat of the week. 71%. That is the percentage of polled Vermonters who feel that action should be taken in Vermont to prepare for climate migration, according to University of Vermont's Center for Rural Studies 2022 Vermonter Poll. This is an increase of about 23% over 2021 results. The poll asks several questions compiled from various groups each year, including finding how Vermonters feel about Act 250, poorly planned development, and housing. The, the Vermonter poll is a statistically representative statewide telephone poll conducted annually by CRS, usually in February or March of each year. For more information, visit uvm.edu slash CRS slash Vermonter hyphen poll. I want to thank our guests, Senator Ann Watson and Susan Clark, as well as the magnificent Lauren Hurl for assisting me. We will be back next Monday for the next episode of the Democracy Dispatch. I'll be chatting with Representative Elizabeth Burroughs about how we can make our natural outdoor spaces more accessible to all and the work that she and others have done to broaden access within the State House. Until next time, thanks for listening.